Most of us go to work to earn an income that will allow us to live the life that we want. And of course you'd like to save money, but maybe you're not sure how. Well, we're gonna go over a few easy things you can do to save thousands. Residency can be such a letdown when it comes to building your financial foundation, but it truly doesn't have to be that way. If you're a physician wanting to take control over your financial future and take back the freedom you deserve, come hang out with this money nerd. No long hours or sleepless nights. Just you, me, and the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and welcome back to the show with another awesome guest. Today we have on Joel Larsgaard, host of the How to Money podcast, and he's one of those in-the-know type guys. Money saving tax is right down his alley, and he's been nice enough to come on the show and to share those with us. We talk about cutting costs with our cell phone bill or repricing our car insurance, using some shopping checklists, and utilizing the strength of our spouses along with a ton of other things, loads of great content inside the show. So if you love saving money, or if you're trying to figure out how, you're definitely going to love the show. I mean, how could you not? Thanks for being here and enjoy the show with Joel. Joel, so excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Ryan, I'm so glad to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So unfortunately, we're not going to have any beer on the show like you do on yours. Dang it. You can put your beer away. No one can actually see us in video, but excited to have you here. So let's talk about something I don't normally talk about. So we go into budgeting and cash flow in several shows and we talk about saving money from like a super high level, but I never dig into like the details of like, well, where could we save money? What are some of the services that we pay for that maybe we tend to overlook or not think about? And I know you guys do a lot of this on your show, and I think it's fascinating. So I'd love to kind of incorporate that into this show today. So let's just kind of jump right in. What are some of the things that we all subscribe to, we all pay for, but necessarily we don't say, hmm, I should probably price shop that or see how I can get a better deal for myself? Man, I feel like oftentimes we forget to reshop things and we end up doing the same thing that we've been doing. And oftentimes that means that we're spending too much. I feel like one of the best places that people can shop that they haven't thought about in probably a long time is cutting their cell phone bill. That's just kind of one of those things that's ripe for the picking. It's ready for you to probably slash your cell phone bill in a quarter. There's been so much competition in that space when it comes to cell phone plans that you can get just as good of a plan that you're on right now with what they call MVNOs. And that's these third-party providers that still run their service on the major network. So you could still get Verizon service or T-Mobile service with an alternative carrier like Cricket or MetroPCS or Republic Wireless. And switching your cell phone service to one of those carriers isn't going to hamstring the sound quality of your calls. You're still going to be able to get 4G data on your phone and stuff like that. But you're just going to pay so much less every month. So for instance, like a family of four that switches from Verizon to Sprint, because Sprint's got a plan right now where you can literally get free cell phone service for an entire year. And so after taxes oh, wow. and fees, you're going to probably be spending like 6 or $7. And we've had listeners of the show take Sprint up on this plan. Literally, they're going to save thousands of dollars in a year. After that, you can reshop your cell phone service. Think about that to make that one change and to save a couple thousand dollars. I mean, that's just low-hanging fruit that most people aren't taking advantage of. They're not even thinking about who their cell phone provider is. They get the bill every month, they pay it, and that's just something you really need to consider shopping. 
Yeah. So it's funny that you bring this up as the first one and we did not rehearse or discuss any of this priors for anyone that's, you know, listening to this and thinking like, oh, you set that up, didn't you? Totally not (laughs) setting this up at all. We moved from Vegas to San Diego in August, had Verizon, and it wasn't a function of price. It was a function of annoyance. We just didn't get service here. It was infuriating, honestly. And so then I switched to T-Mobile and I was like, oh man, T-Mobile's got this like crazy deal where we can add my wife and do all this great stuff. I saved like 30%. I was like, awesome, let's do it. Well, sure enough, T-Mobile sucked and I don't have any service. I'm like, I need to do something. So I actually did Google Fi and I was like, I'm a little worried about this. You know, I don't know. It says it meshes three networks together and does all this. And I'm like, yeah, it's probably three networks like I've never heard of or close to Mexico. Maybe it's one of theirs. But I got to say, like, I'm pleasantly surprised with it. And it's really affordable compared to what it was. I pay like $20 for phone and then it's $10 per gig of data. But you only pay what you use, not like the unlimited plans that then, you know, you charge the same rate. I think I get up to six gigs. It'd be $10 times six is 60 gigs. And then over that, they like cover it. It's not done. And I use like a gig. So I like don't need all that. So I think my bill is going to be like 30 bucks for myself and it'll be even cheaper for my wife. So I got like really excited, but that is funny. I didn't cut it based on cost. I cut it because like I get crap service. (laughs) Yeah. And everyone that I've talked to that has the Google Fi service loves it. They say, yeah, because of those multiple networks that they're running on that you just have better overall service because you're not running on strictly just one. You know, in some areas, Verizon's better. In some metro areas, T-Mobile has like the best service to kind of be running across multiple networks is, is one of the benefits of something like Google Fi. And also, if you travel internationally a fair amount, Google Fi is one of the best cell phone providers for that, T-Mobile and Google Fi. And then also Sprint has a pretty solid overseas plan as well that just comes standard with your plan, which is nice. You're not paying extra with a couple of the other major cell phone companies. You're going to have to sign up for a daily or a monthly plan for international cell phone service that's going to cost you too much and probably isn't going to provide as good of service either as you're going to get with Google Fi. So if you are traveling internationally a fair amount, that's another reason to kind of consider switching. I don't have the guts to travel internationally right now with a four and a two-year-old, but when we do, it'll be nice. We'll take my phone. So we've got a five and three-year-old, so I completely understand. Oh yeah, we're right in the same. So you're, you're a year ahead. You're right in the same spot. So you know what it is. Organized chaos. So we're looking at basically cell phones. What else do we kind of not think about when we're like, hey, we should reprice this service? One of the biggest needles that you can move when it comes to shopping and reshopping things, your insurance costs for your home and for your car in particular. There are so many ways that you can cut the costs of the insurance that you're paying. And and that's another one too. If you own a house, you have a mortgage that's going out being paid by your escrow every year. And you're not even thinking, oh, how much am I paying for insurance? You don't even see it. And so it's like out of sight, out of mind. You can shop with multiple different insurance companies. It's a lot easier than you think in order to get those quotes. And also you can check with an insurance broker. There are folks that work with a bunch of different insurance providers and shop across many, many, many different ones. And they can help you find one that's going to meet your needs and also save you a lot of money. Just shopping that car and home insurance. I mean, I don't know if you remember the commercials on television for that crappy insurance that was like bare minimum. That's all you need. You don't have to all the way to getting something like that. Right. But um, you can still get great insurance. It's just that across the board, these insurers base their prices on completely different algorithms. And so maybe one small factor 
that really isn't that big of a deal is weighted super heavily by one insurer or insurers are pricing by zip code. There was a study recently that if you live one zip code over, you might be paying twice as much for car insurance as your neighbor. It's that kind of stuff that just means there's no easy way around this except for shopping. Yeah. And location is a big deal when you look at that. Because I remember when we moved from where we were doing fellowship in San Diego here over to Vegas. And because Vegas is a 24-hour town, car insurance and liability coverage like Umbrella is like through the roof. I mean, it was double. And I price checked everything and it was horrible. I looked at it was when we were moving back. And I've said this on the show before, so I'll keep it brief. But I felt like a hypocrite telling clients like, hey, you should go check this stuff. And then I don't actually do it on myself. So we checked it. And no, I'm not getting paid by Geico. It just is the truth. I saved like 53% coming back, switching to Geico because they were like, it's a home, it's an umbrella, it's auto for two cars. And we saved a ton of money. Now I could assume that if, and I don't, but if I had a, or my wife had a DUI or something, like it would not have been the case. Maybe you're kind of stuck with where you're at, but if you've got a clean driving record and you're looking for coverage, like that's a great tip for people to do. And even on insurance, by the way, if you will take a defensive driving course, that can save you hundreds of dollars every year with just the insurer that you're with. And so I took an online defensive driving course through AARP. I'm only in my 30s. I'm, I'm not that old. But you can still take it. And your insurer will look at that and say, great, you've completed a defensive driving course. It took me two hours online. It was well worth it because it saved me a couple hundred dollars a few years ago, and it's been saving me a couple hundred dollars ever since. So there's all these discounts. Just make sure when you're talking to potential insurance companies or your current insurance provider, say, hey, what discounts are available to me? Sometimes it's based on where you went to school, where you work. There are all these other discounts that you might not be tapping into, and they might just be like sitting there waiting for you to access them, but you haven't you haven't gotten them. And if you don't ask, you don't get Yeah, you just have to ask. I love it. So we've got cell phone, which most people view as a fixed cost, which it's kind of not really. I mean, you have a choice to have a cell phone or not. I guess in 2019, you don't, but let's just kind of go with it. We've got insurance. What else do we have that we could maybe look at slashing? Well, uh, your grocery bill is a huge one. I, I feel like most people, they think of that as a completely fixed cost as well can't make any changes to the grocery bill. And you know whether you include eating out in your entertainment part of your budget or in your grocery budget, people just align them differently. Either way, you can cut that back. And so I think the easiest way to make a quick change to your grocery bill is just by changing where you shop. And ultimately, if you have an Aldi close by, mm. that's going to be one of the quickest ways. And Aldi's expanding really quickly. Lidl is another grocery store that's expanding rapidly. Both offer much lower cost groceries. And it's because they've got these minimal stores with fewer workers staffing it. But the workers are really good and they're paid really well. These stores are easy to walk through. They're quick. I don't know about you, man, but we've got this like super Kroger right around the corner from my house. I get lost. I get lost in there. It's amazing the amount of stuff that they carry. Just walking into an Aldi is almost soothing in a way too, because it's one tenth of the size, so much less selection, which actually for me, I think of as a positive. So I think, yeah, changing where you shop, paying close attention to your groceries, making sure that you're actually eating the things that you buy. And also for me, when it comes to groceries is eating every day, I pack my own lunch. That makes it just so easy for me to cut my lunch bill, right? I'm not eating out for that. And it's super cheap. I mean, my lunches cost a dollar a piece with just an apple and some almonds. We talk about on the show so many ways that you can cut your grocery bill. I think that's such an important one. And it's actually much easier than people give it credit for. And there's a lot more wiggle room than people actually think. 
Yeah, I'm one of these that even though I'm a planner, I do make mistakes financially and the grocery store is always a train wreck of a mistake for me. It's not that I pawn this off on my wife for her just to go do it because I'm lazy. I end up spending too much money because I end up buying all the same stuff she buys. I might buy a couple extra things here and there, but I end up buying too much. And then we end up wasting food. And then I end up getting in trouble. And then I end up feeling horrible because I'm like, ah, oh, dang it. I don't want to eat all this like turkey meat that I bought. Why did I buy two pounds? Like I didn't need two pounds. <laughs> I don't know these things. So I love that advice. And one of the things that did help me, even though it wasn't enough for me to stop overbuying, was to have a little list. So I'd have my wife tell me exactly what she needed, then I'd go in exactly what I needed. But for several years now, my wife does all the shopping because it's actually a lot more cheaper if she does the shopping. Sometimes you got to know which spouse handles it better too, right? <laughs> that's definitely, if you're married, that's definitely one of the things is knowing which spouse handles the grocery store better because if you know you've got the tendency to walk in there and you're hungry and you just load the cart up, right? And you bring everything back home and then you're like, that wasn't on the list. I bought all this stuff just because I was hungry. So you kind of have to know your limitations. At the yeah, same I usually time. end up going, what list? Oh, that one in my pocket I never looked at. Dang it. <laughs> Uh, I'm a train wreck when it comes to grocery store. All right. So we got groceries. Is there any other fixed costs that you're like, hey, we really should talk about this one. This is this is something people tend to miss out on. I think one big one that it gets hammered to death. So you've probably already heard it, but cutting the cord, if you haven't, you should. And the great thing is, man, there are so many resources out there for you to watch the things that you want to watch for much less money. So if you do still have a cable subscription, just know that over the last couple of years, the online streaming services have gotten so much better. So it used to be that if you cut the cord, yeah, you'd have Netflix, right? But what if you wanted to watch sports? What if you liked to watch ESPN and cared about college football? Well, you were sunk. You couldn't watch any of that stuff. But that's not the case anymore. And there's great streaming services that start at roughly 20 or $25. There's Sling TV, there's YouTube TV, and there's a litany of others. And you should check those out. You can kind of almost create your own package now. You know, like Sling's got two different ones and you can put them together and pay a little bit more. Or you can choose just one or the other based on what you like to watch. For me, I say we should all be watching less TV in general, right? Yep. And cutting the cord, saving potentially a couple hundred dollars a month and prioritizing something like that. That just gives you some more limited viewing options or maybe even just going all the way down to one or two streaming services altogether. Netflix only, unless you're a huge sports nut, could be a big benefit to your time, putting some time back in your life and then also you know, cutting the costs of those monthly recurring bills. Because you're the guest and you open this up, it means I get to talk on this a little bit. My wife's going to be shaking her head like, oh, he's doing it. So I've wanted to cut the cord for years. And we did it while she was like studying for a bit. And then she started back up because boards were done. And then when we moved, I was like, we're not doing it again. Like we can cut this. It's not a big deal. But she wanted to watch Ellen. And I searched high and low to figure out how she could watch this show, which I get it. It's like, you know, entertainment. She loves Ellen. I couldn't figure out like how to watch this one. So she was against the whole cord cutting for a bit, but there was Hulu that ended up working for us. Amazon Prime has a really decent video selection, Netflix, and then her parents actually subscribed to Dish. With Dish, you have the ability to like, I think it's like their hopper or whatever the heck they call it. I don't know, but you can watch it like remotely. So then we can watch Chiefs games. It's the only sport that that and, and I can watch um probably not supposed to do this, but there's like a Vegas Golden Knights, uh, which is the NHL team in Vegas. 
in their group, they live stream the games. So like, I was like, oh, I got to buy the NHL package because we moved and I'm never going to get to watch a game. And then on Facebook, sure enough, it's free. And I just go on, I can just like cast it up to the TV. And now I'm watching the Golden Knights game for free, which is amazing. So I know there's a ton of resources out there. This podcast borderline solely exists because we cut the cord and I don't get enticed to watch TV anymore. We have it for the kids, some of these streaming services that the kids can watch a show or two, and then my wife can watch her one or two bachelor shows or whatever terrible (laughs) show she watches. So you started the podcast because you cut the cord and you were like, I don't have anything else to do. Why don't I start a podcast? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One is I I was always nervous actually to start. I'm kind of introverted. So like being able to talk and then know that it's going to go out to a bunch of people was kind of nerve wracking to me. I think about it and it's like, let's say there's 300 listeners and I would have been stoked when I started if I got to 300 and I think of 300 people in a room, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a lot of people. And now that there's like over 2000 people that listen to the show, I'm like, uh, that that's a lot of people listening to us talk, but it's been amazing because the community is so awesome. And we've got a Facebook group, which if you're listening and you haven't joined, please do financialresidency.com slash community. Now there's like a thousand people in the community and like the feedback and the emails that I get from people, it's just amazing. So it's made it all worth it. But yeah, it was one of those, like my wife and I were like, Oh, what do you want to do? I'll oh, just toss on a movie or something. We'd do that at eight 30, nine o'clock at night. Now I'm like, okay, honey, good night. I'm going to go podcast. Granted, we're not recording this at night, but I do a lot of the recordings at night and it just kind of turned into a passion project. I feel like it's a calling. It's super fun. It's kind of addicting when you get started, especially when you've got a community vibe and when people are into it and responding. I mean, that's the best part of it, right? That's why you got into it. That's why I'm doing this, man. I want to, I want to help people (laughs) because money is such a stressor in people's lives right? It's the number one thing that couples fight about. It's the number one reason for divorce. Growing up for me, it's personal. It affected my parents. Money problems were the root cause of so many of the issues inside of our family. And if we had had our money game together, if my parents had had their money game straight, it would have been completely different. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I know that that's the case for so many people. And that's what I want to see is healthy families, healthy relationships, healthy individuals, who just know some of these tips or tricks, right? There's a lot of these things, right? That you can get overwhelmed, say that's so much, that's so much information, please stop. Like, I don't know what to do. But if you can take each one, one by one, and start to make a little change here or there, you can take control back of your finances and of your life. It's gonna put you in a healthier place for your spouse, your kids, your work. I mean, I think that's so important because you don't wanna be thinking about credit card debt that you've got racked up while you're doing important work Mm -hmm. um, as a doctor. I mean, that's terrible. And I know that that kind of stuff weighs on you, whether you're at work, in the car, or at home. So that's kind of my goal behind all this. I love it. Yeah. I mean, a lot of them are listening that maybe are in training still and had to rack up a little credit card debt just to live. And now maybe they're hearing you and going, okay, I'd love to do some of these things. Don't go do them all at once, especially at the same time. You're going to go crazy. You're probably going to fail. It's like, I look at this as a long marathon, not a short-term sprint. You know, do one thing and then go, man, that was a pain in the butt to change. Like we've talked about changing banking structure and how that would look. If you actually went and implement some of these things, take it easy for a month. Don't go do anything else. Get used to what it is. Okay, great. Now you're going to go shop your cell phone. Switching cell phone carriers, like it's not the easiest thing. I mean, it's pretty easy, but if you're switching, let it sit a month and then go do the next thing. Just bit by bit, just keep working through it. So I know we talked offline a little bit on other secondary costs with purchases that we typically don't think about. So we've got some really good stuff on how to cut expenses. So now let's look at some of the things that we end up buying that we just go, oh, wait, it's not just the initial cost. 
it's the secondary cost or the third cost. And you had some really cool things of way you characterize them. So why don't we just start and kind of jump into that? So another thing when people make a purchase is they think of the price tag, the initial price tag, and they don't really add up. Well, how much is this purchase going to cost me over the long run? There are certain things where it's obvious that secondary costs, costs down the road based on that purchase are going to have an impact. Then there are other things that it's just a little less obvious. I think it's important when you're factoring in buying a house, buying a car, the hobbies that you pursue, those sorts of things, the secondary costs can make or break that initial purchase and can make it either a wise one or a really dumb one. So for instance, when you're buying a house, right, and your lender says, hey, here's how much house you can afford. Well, that might not necessarily be true. That's how much they say you can afford, but that's not that's necessarily how much they're how much willing to lend to you. We've talked about it before several times on the show, but just to reiterate, in case you haven't heard some of the past shows, the more that they lend to you, the better it is for them, right? They've got a book that they've got to lend out. If you're a quality borrower, they're going to try to just, and especially as a physician, you guys can get physician mortgages, which I mean, 0% down up to 750,000, literally. That's what they're giving them. And they exclude sometimes student debt. So it's kind of nuts what our listeners can hear, but that's not what you can afford. That is what yeah. they're willing to lend to you. But now you get to back in and say cash flow wise, how much mortgage can I pay? What does that look like monthly? Can I still hit all my goals? So just want to interrupt just for that piece, but continue now on buying a house and all the extra costs with it. That can put you in a, in a real bind if someone says, hey, you can afford all this and you're just you haven't really thought through the secondary costs and crunch the numbers to see whether you actually can afford it. And so, for example, with a house, yeah, there's the hard costs of closing costs, of a home inspection, of repairs that you're going to need to make immediately, of repairs that you're going to need to make down the road. You're going to have to have insurance on that house. The list can go on and on. There's those hard costs that are immovable, essentially, right? You can't change the amount of taxes that you're going to be paying on that home. That's what you're going to pay no matter what on a yearly basis. Then there's like soft costs, right? So if you decide to buy a house that's 2,500 square feet as opposed to 1,500 square feet, you're talking about buying a lot of furniture in order to fill that house oh, yes. up, right? That it looks lived in, it's comfortable. You have you know, maybe a guest room as well. You know, It's nice to have, but it's also not a necessity. You have to decide you know, what's really important to me. Do I need a room for each of my kids or potential kids or can I live with less? You have to remember, it's not just the price tag of the house. It's not just the $250,000 or $350,000 price tag of the home. It's all of these other things that are going to eat you up along the way. And so you just want to make sure you're doing the math on the front end before you make the purchase. Uh, one of our listeners, uh, Ryan, he uh, sent us on Twitter after we released that episode, his breakdown of what it would look like for him over five years if he bought a $5,000 used car. A $5,000 used car, right? That sounds like a brilliant purchase. Nobody buys cars that are that cheap. And he's making For a super a frugal. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. He was going to make the super frugal choice to buy a $5,000 used car. And if he had it for five years, he extrapolated this is what he was going to pay with all the associated costs when it comes to insurance, taxes, gas, insurance. And then he factored in, well, hey, I live in downtown Seattle. So what if instead of getting a car, I just took alternative modes of transportation? I rented a zip car when I needed it. I got around by bus, a bird scooter, whatever it may be. Yeah. And so he did the math and it turned out that over five years, it was going to be a $22,000 difference in wow. how much money he would have at the end of five years. That's just kind of crazy to think that what looks like a frugal purchase up front, a $5,000 used car, right? I mean, any financial guru would say, go for it. Buy a cheap used car. That's going to help you over the long run to be able to save and invest more and not have so much of your monthly costs going out towards a vehicle. 
But when it comes down to it, there's an even better method for him. And it really came into play. It helped him. The light bulb turned on because he extrapolated the secondary cost of what that purchase was going to look like. It's not just that $5,000. It's a heck of a lot more when you look at it over time. I mean, just the basics, right? Insurance and gas and maintenance, just those three alone. I mean, they're, they're huge. But this is why personal finance is personal, right? I've got a buddy of mine. He's been on the show, Robert Farrington. We talked all about student loans. Robert doesn't own a car himself. His wife has one and he's got kids, but he Ubers literally everywhere in San Diego because he figured out like it was significantly cheaper for him just to literally pay an Uber driver with a tip and not be a stiff tip the person too, but to Uber to WeWork where he does it his work or, or to go get food or whatever he's going to do versus owning two cars. So I look at this and again, personal finance, personal if you have little kids, like, and you need car seats, I, I don't know how that would work. Right. So right. this guy's probably single. He lives in downtown Seattle. Like he can make that work. And if you live in downtown San Diego and you're single and you're working here at UCSD or whatever, that might work for you. It might not work if you've got four kids and you have a stay at home spouse and the other one's working and you're trying to figure it out. Like that might not work, but there might be something else you could do. And like in rural Nebraska, they probably don't have bird scooters for you to get around or great modes of alternative transportation. So that's completely an example. But factoring in those secondary costs for you, maybe it means instead of buying that $25,000 car, you buy a $10,000 car. And Mm -hmm. it's because insurance is going to be cheaper because you don't have to have full coverage. Maybe it means buying a car that's going to have better gas mileage versus something that's just going to guzzle gas. It's those kind of things that factoring in those secondary costs, it doesn't mean you have to completely eschew a purchase and say, you know what, I'm not buying a car, I'm going to hoof it. But it can mean buying a different kind of car that is going to have cheaper insurance costs, cheaper gas costs, an older car. Because another one of those secondary costs with a car is depreciation. That's the one that most people don't factor in. And that's the biggest one by far. If you buy a $30,000 new car in just a few years, it's worth $15,000, right? That's the one that's going to sink you more than any of these other secondary costs when it comes to a car. Knowing that ahead of time can help you make an informed decision. Are there anything else or any other ones that you're like, hey, this is like a hard secondary cost or this has got a lifestyle cost? You mentioned maybe hobbies. What are the things that maybe we just don't think about? Yeah, I think hobbies are definitely one, right? I think when you decide what hobbies you're going to participate in, a lot of those costs depend on how far you want to take that hobby. So if you're interested in golf, you can be the kind of golfer that makes the hobby as cheap as you want it to be, or you can be the kind of golfer that takes international trips to Scotland to golf the links over there, right? Mm-hmm. You can buy all the nicest equipment and have like the fanciest new shoes, the golf balls that cost way too much and clubs, all that stuff, right? So when you're choosing a hobby, you can think about it in terms of which hobbies are more expensive than others. And then you can also think about it in terms of that is a hobby I want to pursue, but how can I do it in a way that doesn't break the bank? How can I do it in a way Maybe, you know what, it turns out the best part about golfing is having a beer with my friends and unwinding on a Saturday afternoon. And so screw it. We're going to the par three golf course that costs $12 of greens fees, cracking a couple beers. And that's the best way for me to enjoy golf with found golf balls or, or whatever, right? Because yeah. we know we see those lines of golf courses. There's just ways to think about any sort of endeavor like that, a new hobby that change the framework that you put it in so that you can make a decision to pursue something, not just because... Well, all the golfers I know, man, they've got all this fancy stuff, but why does it matter to me? And you can choose to make a hobby, I think, as expensive or as inexpensive as you want, really, in in so many ways. But people just don't think about it with that sort of framework in mind. 
Yeah. Golf is actually extremely expensive from like a hobby standpoint. So that's a good analogy or a good example, I should say. I want to ask one final question on this. And I'm curious what you think. We had Sarah Fallon talking about the book, The Next Millionaire Next Door, but talking about like the physician millionaire and what the makeup of the average millionaire looks like. And we touched briefly on social indifference or keeping up with the Joneses kind of thing. I think a lot of what you're talking about here is interesting because it kind of relates back and forth with those things. But my question directly is, what do you think about advertising? How does advertising really play into some of these decisions, whether it's the hobby, the extra costs, ways to make things cheaper? I mean, we're getting bombarded all the time with ads and emails and retargeting with Facebook pixels. And I mean, you name it, it's there. How do you feel like advertising plays into these needs, wants, wish kind of thing? I think the two biggest things that play into those wants and wishes are advertising and then it's the people that you surround yourself with. Those are the two key things that trigger that desire, that feeling of necessity that I need to buy, that I need to do something different, that I'm not enough, that the status that I currently have, it's not what I want it to be. Envy is one of the major problems in American culture today. It's not even greed, it's envy. I think Warren Buffett said that one time, that envy is this thing that we all feel. We see other people doing a little bit better than us. And when you read something like The Millionaire Next Door, you realize that the richest people, the people that are leading lives that have the most meaning and the least amount of stress are the ones that are living far below their means, not the ones that are maxing it out to impress their neighbors. And so, yeah, I would say, one, avoid advertising as much as you can, as you know, with kids. I tell you what, it's worth paying for Netflix to avoid commercials because we stayed at a hotel room last year for Ridiculous. Thanksgiving. They saw commercials for like the first time and they had want-itis. They were like, I want that. I want that. Mommy, can you get me that for Christmas? Daddy, what about that? So anytime you can avoid advertising, I feel like it's helpful. And then the other thing, consider who you surround yourselves with. And the great thing is sometimes because of the online world with a Facebook group like yours, with podcasts that you can listen to, it doesn't even have to be your neighbors or the people that live in close proximity to you. You can find your group, your tribe online to a certain extent, which is cool. I think it's really important to have close friends that you can talk about these things with at the same time. I think that should be a goal. But if you don't have that right now, you can find something akin to that online. So those two things, if you can skip out on advertising whenever possible, I mean, you can't really skip out on the billboards that you're going to see, right, on your drive yeah. home from work or whatever. But as often as you can, leave that behind. And then on top of that, yeah, you really need to surround yourselves with people that have a down-to-earth view and maybe have some, are thoughtful about finances. Yeah, that share your similar views or in your same circumstance. And I think that's the hardest part about the family that I'm in, like being married to a physician or just being the physician yourself is that you maybe don't necessarily relate to everyone around you. So yeah, this community that we've built here, the financial residency community is exactly that for people to come find your tribe, welcome home kind of thing. Anything can be asked. There's no such thing as a dumb question. It's just dumb not to ask it. And hopefully that's what the community is doing for people. I know that I see the emails that come through and sometimes people are a little gun shy to open up, but I always do anonymous posts, by the way, if anyone's listening that wants to ask a question, but doesn't want to be identified, no problem. Just shoot me a direct message and I'll post it in there anonymously if you'd like. And then you mentioned surrounding yourself with like-minded individuals. We did a whole show with Nick True, the science behind positive financial habits. So I really encourage you guys to go check that one out. And one of the things that I'll, I'll leave with here is from a marketing standpoint, I did this unroll.me. It takes all the, like, the subscriptions and ads and all this crap that you get from 
you know, you bought one thing at Best Buy and now you get 400 emails a week from them. It is a free service. You give them access technically to your email so they can see some data, but whatever. They end up unsubscribing you from everything that you want to be. So it, it lists everything that you have uh, automatically enrolled to and you can just like click unsubscribe. Hopefully you don't unsubscribe to the financial residency podcast. But if you did, if we don't provide value, I mean, have at it. That was what really helped me get rid of all the junk in my inbox because I didn't have it from TV. And which is so nice, by the way, like I watch sports and I see ads and I get kind of annoyed not having the constant advertisements there, but then I was getting them in my inbox, but that really helped. So you guys have an amazing show. I always want to drink a beer. Unfortunately, <laughs> I don't have one for you to cheers you with, but tell us a little bit about your guys' show, what you're up to, some of the plans. I mean, everyone listening, it's an awesome show. I encourage you to listen to it, but Joel, take it away. I host a show called How to Money with my best buddy, Matt. It's really fun. We live like six blocks away. We like drinking craft beer. So we feature a different craft beer on every show. We like riding bikes. We talk about that a lot. But we talk about stuff like you and I talked about in this conversation. We talk about a lot of tips and tricks and ways to save and think about money differently because we want to empower people to make better money decisions in their lives so that they can aim for financial independence and that they can live a richer life now because it's not all about the possessions and the things you can buy. It's about creating freedom in your life. And so, yeah, our show, How to Money, it's all about that. And man, I'm just lucky to get to do a show with my best buddy. It's, it's a lot of fun. I won't tell you which one I think is carrying the show or anything, but I do love what you guys are doing. You guys have a great show. And that's the whole reason I wanted to have you on was it's just you have such a different way of thinking about things that necessarily we don't talk about here on the show or that most people don't talk about. So thank you so much for being on the show. It's an honor to have you here and chat with you. Thanks, Ryan, man. It was a, it was a true blast. In our journal club, we're going to be discussing an article that was posted on the site drcoreyfawcett.com titled, What I Wish the Younger Me Knew About Debt. Some of you may recognize the name as Dr. Fawcett, who I'm lucky enough to call a friend, has posted some amazing content on his site recently. And I'm going to be honest here with all of you. I absolutely loved this post. It really got me thinking about even my younger self and the mistakes that I've made and what I wish I could have said to myself even just a few short years ago. We all make mistakes, some big, some small, but none of us is perfect. And hopefully by listening to the show that you're going to make some smaller mistakes over time, but realize that no one is perfect and it's important to do the best that you can. So diving into this post that Dr. Fawcett wrote, I think there's so many good things about it. I honestly, I'm having trouble even where to start. The post talks about what he would tell his younger self if he could not make the dumb money mistakes that happened in the past. The first mistake that he highlighted was loaning money to a friend. And that usually just doesn't end up well. But in this case, he didn't even have the money himself. So he took out a personal loan in order to give his friend some money. And he did it. It was at 28%. Yikes. So of course the friend didn't pay him back and now he's stuck paying on the loan as it was under his credit and he lost money and a friend over it. So the lesson here that I take from it is don't lend borrowed money to anyone and don't expect to be paid back. Honestly, if you lend out money to friends or family, one of the other mistakes was that in his words, that startup company you bought will eventually fail. 
while we all hear about the latest and greatest things to invest in, we're all likely pitched investments on a near daily basis, and you probably don't even notice it at this point. If you follow other bloggers or podcasters, you're definitely being pitched something, and likely you're probably not even paying attention to it. But let's be real, investing should be boring, like watching paint dry. You don't need to time the market or quote unquote beat the market. You don't need to go and find these investments and chase returns in the latest tech IPO or some business your friend told you about that's going to make you rich. Sure, if you want to take a small portion of what you have of your investable assets to go invest in something fun, fine, but don't bet the house on this type of thing. Dr. Fawcett calculated that he would have a million dollars more if he didn't make that investment in that startup company. Yikes again, right? Now I'm assuming that that was the loss of investment and the opportunity cost of investing the funds that he did lose into the market over time, but still, a million dollar loss is insane. Don't do that. Another thing he tells him his younger self is that new car smell is gone in six months. Oh man, how can I relate to this one? It's an ongoing joke with one of our community members, Bill, about this and myself. So I bought a new car about five years ago after seeing an accident on the highway in the exact model car that I was driving that I owned and this new father getting out and running around his car to grab his baby out of the back seat. It honestly scared the crap out of me as Taylor was pregnant with our first and I never wanted to be that guy. So what did I do? I went out and I bought a much, much bigger car, bought a truck. Could I have gone out and purchased a used truck with some similar safety features? Yeah, I probably could have, but instead I paid about $10,000 more and I got a new truck with the state of the art safety features. Now that truly did fuel about 90% of my purchase to have a safe truck for the family. But let's be real. There was about 10% I'd probably say that wanted a nice new truck that didn't have any problems. And I liked that new car feel. So Dr. Fawson had a, a different story that he references and, and links in his story about the convertible that he had that was like a two-seater and seated him and his wife in, in a briefcase. And that's about it. But the fact is, is a new car is new and maybe for a few months, right? But then it just becomes transportation. A few other great things that he mentioned, and, and I quote, are, you'll never build a house on that dream property you bought. Those Christmas presents you spent so much on are all gone. And I'm so glad that you bought that first apartment building. I, so I really loved this article and I did because as a financial planner, I hear so many of these mistakes. I really wanted to highlight the ones that I did mention because I hear them so frequently. I really want to encourage all of you listening to think about your past mistakes, whether they're big or they're small, the past financial mistakes that you've made, and just try to look at it with a glass half full and go, what could you learn from those mistakes so that you don't make that mistake or something similar again? And it's okay to realize that you made mistakes. Trust me, you're going to make plenty more in your lifetime, but it's important to learn from them just as Dr. Fawcett has done and highlighted in his article. Dr. Fawcett, thanks again for showing us how to think differently when it comes to our personal finances. And I'll make sure that I link this in the show notes at financialresidency.com. Also a little spoiler alert, Dr. Fawcett and I have already recorded another amazing show that's going to air in March. 
And it's all around the mindset around paying down debt. And it was such a fascinating discussion that it led to us talking literally for two hours after we stopped recording. It was that good. So I can't wait for you guys all to hear it. It's going to launch in March. What a great episode we had. I hope you enjoyed the Journal Club, but also the interview with Joel. So here are some things I'd like you to think about. We talked about some of the services we pay for and that we maybe tend to overlook and not really think about them all the time. When we shop, we tend to do the same things we've always been doing, but when it comes to things like our cell phone bill, well, there's ways to slash it. There's so much competition in this area that we can generally get a good deal by switching carriers to the smaller ones like Metro PCS or Cricket. Um, If you're a major carry junkie, Sprint has a free for a year plan that you might want to consider. I did this sort of thing and I've moved from Verizon to T-Mobile and I landed on Google Fi and I've been really happy with them. And I found out that it's a super affordable for an awesome service, really. You can definitely benefit by switching and you just need to go check out your options. And you can do that by going to financialresidency.com slash Google and checking it out and see if you could slash your bill. Joel says one of the biggest needles in the stack or needles to move, if you will, is when it comes to shopping for insurance. And if you have a mortgage, you might not know that how much you're actually paying and you might be able to get it repriced. So go shop with multiple insurance companies to get a better deal here. There are brokers that can help you find a plan if you need, and, and they can help you basically meet your needs and figure out what is best for you. And we also chat about car insurance. And I have told my story that how I basically slashed 50% off my monthly rate by switching to Geico, uh, which is funny. It sounds like a commercial, but it's completely true. So I would encourage you definitely to check them out to see if you can get a lower rate with them. As far as your grocery bills, how can you save here? Uh, Well, Joel had a good one and it's know the strengths of your spouse. If they have a better handle on your shopping list or know when to eat out, give that control up right away. I definitely did. And it Definitely helped out our bank account and our spending. Let's also talk about that darn cable subscription. Uh, it's a vice that many of us have. Uh, we're fortunate enough to have gotten rid of it several years ago. And it's a lot easier now than it was in the past because there's so many great streaming services like YouTube TV or Sling TV that could definitely save you a couple hundred dollars, at least a couple hundred dollars a year. For Taylor and I, um, we have Hulu and we have Netflix as well as Prime Video that came with Amazon Prime. And that allows, let's be real, really it's for our kids and for her to watch all the shows that they'd like. We also talked a little bit about credit card debt. And in training, you're likely to have racked up some of it. And honestly, it's pretty much inevitable when you're in training to do that. But there are ways to save and you have to take the initiative to work that in your favor, but there's definitely ways to do it. We also lastly chatted about big purchases. And it's important to factor in your hobbies, your car, your home, et cetera, as a long-term financial commitment. When you prioritize the potential impact on your budget, you can really position yourself under a favorable light. Know what you can afford, not what you're told that you can afford. Make sure you look at your hobbies as our last little bit here. When deciding which hobby to take up, you really have to consider the costs and you got to think in terms of which are more expensive than others. It's all about how you think about it. So keep all of that in mind. Can you save some money now? Yeah, you probably can. 
Many thanks to Joel for his awesome insights. And I really enjoyed him being on the show. For our community update, I really hope that this show and the community has brought all of you great value. I enjoy your emails that you send me. Honestly, it makes it all worth it. So please keep sending them and reaching out if you so feel motivated to do that. I'd like to increase the size of our community this year, and that really won't be possible without all of your help. It'd be amazing if you could all spread the message by sharing this podcast with other physicians and their families. Also, make sure to check out our other podcast called the Physician Finance Minute. If you want a daily digestible tip, yes, daily, that will help you stay on track to crush your debt, understand your cash flow, learn how to invest, get the appropriate insurance, or just gain confidence when it comes to your finances, go check it out. It's free. It's literally a minute a day, and it's called the Physician Finance Minute. I'm super pumped that you've decided to take time out of your day to listen to me yap about finances. It's my passion, and I know I can get a little nerdy on it, but this information is for you, and I'm happy to be the messenger. While I'm honored to have you here with me, I can't give you any specific advice on your financial situation through the show. You should consult your attorney, your CPA, or shoot, reach out to me, a fee-only financial planner, before going and making any big money decision. It's just the smart thing to do. Next week, we have on Doc G on the show coming to, to hang out with us here. And I had a blast recording with him. And I know that all of you are going to absolutely love that show. Have a great week. See y'all next time. Cheers. Thank you.